1 John chapter 3. Uh, we're going to go down to verse 3, I think, today. First John 3, 1 through 3. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, help us this morning. Help me not to confuse a really beautiful matter. Lord, help me also not to make what is something that's true, untrue. But Lord, I pray that you would anoint my lips this morning that we all in one unison may see what is true of us and what is true of you. Grant us that, I ask right now, by your Spirit, for your glory. Help us to see what you are like, that we may worship you rightly. For this is our prayer, God, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So if you remember last week, um, we looked over a simple statement, and I'll just, I'll just give it to you again. I think it's up there on the screen. Since we are the children of God, this is what we talked about last week. Since we are the children of God, our lives will be marked by familial love and unfriendly rejection. We looked at basically being or identity before doing or action, and how our identity is what produces our actions. We looked at how we are adopted into the family of God and by our sin-covering work of Christ on the cross. But this week, I want us to look... Yeah, so that's... Uh, no, that's the first. I'm sorry. There. That's, that's what was last week. Since we are the children of God, our lives will be marked by familial love, which is found in Christ Jesus, to the glory of God the Father, through God the Holy Spirit, and unfriendly rejection from the world. Um, so that's what we saw last week. This week, if you've taken notes, there's two points. I mean, there's two sentences I want you to see. And if you see nothing else today, I want you to see this. It's this. is that since we still live under sin's corruption of both our world and hearts, we wait for the full expression of, for our, of our adoption into God's family. And then secondly, I want us to see that until this adoption is fully revealed, we should, we must cross that should out, because we talked about last week, there shouldn't be shoulds. There's no shoulds in the gospel. There's only musts. We must purify ourselves by focusing our hope on Him. Before we get into this passage, I want to be really clear, and I don't think I was clear last week about this, that when we talk about the children of God, I am not talking about humanity as a whole. Okay, so we can talk about God's children in a very general sense. We can talk about them and say, okay, well, all people are made in the image of God. That's, that's true. And all people are children of God in the sense that God is their creator. That's also true. But we need to be very specific. And what I'm talking about, what we've been talking about, is very clearly not this universal fatherhood of God, okay? 
What we're talking about is very specific because not all people are children of God in this way that we're talking. So we can say objectively, God loves sinners. That's true. But we also must affirm God loves me and God loves you. And it's this second subjective, God loves me, that we're talking about, which is dependent upon our response to who God is, to who we see in Jesus Christ. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. And we are. If you are a Christian, then this is true of you. So there's a very specific sense that we're talking about, the children of God. And then we get to verse 2 and 3, which is this. This is what I want you to see from verses 2 and 3. The children of God, what we will be. The children of God, what we will be. So last week we saw the children of God, what we are. But there's also a futuristic sense, what we will be. Behold, 1 John 3, 2 says this, Behold, we are now children of God. So that's what we talked about last week, but it's the same thing. John says it again. Behold, or beloved, those who are loved, now we are children of God. And this is here. Here's the, the point in verse 2. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. So there's, a, there's this dynamic playing out, and we need to see it in verse 2. There's an already sense that me and you are the children of God. And that's amazing. But there's a greater, there's this pinnacle of the symphony of God that he is, he is driving to this moment when we will be ultimately the children of God. And it will not be revealed just to us as the people of God. It will be revealed to everyone who the children of God are. So there's a dynamic happening here of the already sense, that, if you're taking notes, is that point A of already, the already the present reality. Beloved, now we are children of God. Even while living in a sin-stained, sin-tarnished world, John can confidently say, we are the children of God currently. And it is the same concept we talked about last week of this, ado- this concept of adoption. And I love the, the Baptist Catechism. It says this about the concept of adoption. So, so just so we're clear, I'm not getting this from some, I'm not just going in my study and being some hokey-pokey preacher somewhere coming out to tell you that, that you are children of God. This is what Christians from thousands of years ago have believed. This is what the Baptist Catechism says, and I love, I think it says it very succinctly. Adoption is an act of God's free grace. So get that first. Adoption is not a part of just what we do. First, the first movement is it's an act of God's free grace, whereby or by means of which we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. So we're really going to be unpacking those two aspects. So we're going to be unpacking the received into the number and the right to all the privileges today. That's what we're going to be looking at. And this adoption is God's free act of grace to receive us into his children. God's unmerited favor to us, to wicked and sinful people. So, that, so let's look at what it means to be received into the number. If you're taking notes, it's that first one. It's called to holiness. And if you'll notice, there is a bunch of scripture references today. And we could go to a, a hundred more. But if you will, just turn with your Bible as we're looking at each one. The first one's in First Peter 
one. And I'm going to have, again, I'm going to try to have us turning a bunch of different places today. So you have to be on your toes. Called to holiness is this first one. Those who are set apart from the world. Those who have a new nature to be received into the number is to be called into the family of God. And listen to what 1 Peter says in verse 14. I, I included some, the scripture references will be bigger than what we're going to talk about today, but we're going to look at verse 14, and it's on the screen if you don't want to turn there. 1 Peter 1, 14 says, notice how he starts even, as obedient children, as obedient children, notice even how Peter grounds the believer in the identity of being chosen by God. He grounds the Christian in the fact that he is a child of God, as obedient children. He doesn't say, there it is again, notice, he doesn't say, go do these, all these things. You need to do all these things. Here's all these obligations, he says. No, he says, as obedient children. Then he gives the command, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So there it is again. So he begins with the identity and then the command. Since you are God's children, don't be conformed to your former way of life. Since you are a part of the family of God, no longer be guided by your former unawareness of sin. This is it in verse 15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. So when we talk about being part of the family of God, what we should first think is that God has called out the Christian community as those who are called to holiness. And that's not just moral purity. Last week we talked about the concept of self-hate and self-love and how those are contradictory to what God's calling us to, which is self-forgetfulness or the devoted Godward direction that God is calling us to. So here's a test for you. And it might seem kind of obscure, but stick with me. Religion says this. It says when you sin, what, what happens with religion? Religion says when you sin, you're worried about others' perception. When you sin, you run and hide from God. That's what religion says. Religion says when you sin, you seek to excuse yourself. But Christianity, what, Paul, what Peter is talking about here, and what John is referencing when he talks about that we're children of God, is this, is that Christianity says when you sin, you're concerned that you've hurt your father's heart. And this is what it means for holiness. This is what it means that we're not just called to holiness in some vague, obscure, just do better, just try harder. So if you ask somebody, ask your neighbor this sometime, that maybe they say they're a Christian. Say, what does it mean that you're a Christian? And if they say, I'm trying to be a Christian, you can tell they're stuck in religion. You don't know why? Because Christianity is first and foremost about what God has done. You don't try to be a Christian. You are a Christian. You are a Christian first and foremost. And when you are a Christian, that goes into every other aspect. So ask them. If you hear everybody saying, well, I'm trying to be a Christian. I'm trying to live this out. You should look back at them and say, what does that mean? What do you mean by that? What do you mean you're trying? How do you you earn God's favor any more than Jesus Christ and him crucified? You don't. So this is what it means to be received into the number of God's family. And this is an already, just so we're clear, this is an already experience right now. Beloved, now, Now, not some present day, not some present day somewhere will we be good enough. He says, now we are the children of God. 
since we live, here's the main point of what I want you to see. Since we still live under sin's corruption of both our our world and our hearts, we wait for the full expression of our adoption into God's family. We wait for it. But right now, in this moment, we can experience truly what it means to be a child of God. So again, back back to the Baptist Catechism, this is what it says about adoption. Adoption is an act of God's free grace by means of which we're received into the number, that's what we looked at, called to holiness, in the second part, and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. So you're saying to me, Daniel, we have privileges in God's household? Yes. See, I, I say this, I want to say this with trepidation as I step into it. Because we don't ever come to God and say, Lord, you've given me this. You've called me your child, so give me a house. (laughs) Give me money. Give me a car. Not those kind of privileges. And we could pick any number of privileges, but I want to focus on two. Here's the first one. Treasures in jars of clay. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 12. You can turn there. You might get tired of turning, and if you do, it's up on the screen. And Paul, he just, he just gets done saying, he's talking about the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, of the new covenant. He's talking about the new covenant, what it means to be a part of the new covenant community. And he says this, for it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What he's saying is Jesus is the ultimate now. Jesus is the one who has shown into our hearts through the gospel And what does he say? He doesn't say, oh, well, now Jesus is this, so now just go do whatever you want, or here's the privileges, you're part of the family of God, go live however you want. Listen to what he says. Listen to what he says of what we are. He says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. So Paul's not saying, look how wonderful we are. Look look at our greatness. He's saying, look at how fragile and how weak we are. Easily broken. An earthen pot would be like something, like a terracotta pot kind of, that would be so easily broken from anything. And he said, but notice what he says. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, or terracotta pot. Think about that. That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. He's saying that we are the vessels, we are the broken, fragile little pots that carry around this amazing treasure. And then look at what he says in verse 8 through, eight through 10. We are hard-pressed on every side. He's talking about his own condition, what it means to be the inheritance. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Does that sound just so we're clear? When, as, we're talking about, um, as we're talking about an inheritance, as we're talking about what it means like, to, to receive from the Lord, listen to what he says. We're hard-pressed. We're crushed. We're perplexed. We're persecuted. But always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. Paul is saying that in this present moment, we are weak and fragile. We are those who are easily broken, easily crushed, easily destroyed. But this message that we hold to is 
imperishable. Since we still live under sin's corruption of both our world and our hearts, we wait, we groan, as Romans says, for the eager expectation of the revealing of the sons of God. For the sake of Christ, Paul in 2 Corinthians 12.10, for the sake of Christ then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecution, calamity, for when I am weak, then I am strong. So that is the privilege that the Christian life is not about getting out of this weakness. The Christian life is not about getting away from the insults. The Christian life is not about getting away from the hardship and the persecution. The Christian life is reveling in the treasure that we bear. And I want you to see the second, the second privilege. It's this. It's looking in a mirror. And the looking in the mirror is made up of two components. The first one I want you to look at. You're already there at 2 Corinthians. So, uh, it's unveiled faces. 2 Corinthians 3, 15 Starting in verse 15, he says, But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their hearts. And Paul's picking up on what happened in the Old Testament. He's talking about the, the Old Testament, the glory of the Old Testament. And, and if you remember in the Old Testament, when Moses comes off of Mount Sinai, his, mount, his, his face is literally shining. And the people begged him, Paul, or, uh, Moses, put on the veil. We can't even look at your face. And Paul's linking this Old Testament covering. He's linking it to the Old Testament reality, that they are veiled. But he says, nevertheless, verse 16, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Spirit is the Lord, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, there it is, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as the Spirit of the Lord. What Paul is saying here is that we, like Moses, are beholding the glory of the Lord in the face of Jesus Christ. And since we have been adopted into God's family, since we have been changed by the Spirit of God, we are being transformed from the glory of the old age to the glory of the new age. And this is something that happens in the already This is something that happens in the here and now. As we stare, like in a mirror, we don't look at it untruly. Like a mirror shows, it reflects what is true. But he's saying we look in a mirror as we marvel at Jesus Christ. I can't help but think about, uh, we were at the aquarium the other day. Uh, We took our in-law, or uh, my my in-laws, to the aquarium, and I was holding Sam, and we were walking around, and there was a moment where it was really sunny in one area, and there was an aquarium. And as I walked up to the aquarium, literally, I couldn't see the fish on the other side because all I could see was myself. But as I walked up to the mirror and as I looked, tried to like move a little bit and like get out of the sun's reflection, you could very, dis- very faintly start to see fish in behind it. And as I got closer, as I looked closer at it, I saw something beyond my own reflection. What I saw was the, was, the, was the fish, was the beauty of the fish behind it. And I think this is the same idea that Paul, Paul's hinting at. And he refers to a mirror in this, a second time. He says, there's a partial knowing. And that you don't have to turn to this one, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just talk through this one. In 1 Corinthians 13, at the end of the love passage, 
He says this, For now we see in a mirror, dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know, just as I am also known. Paul's point is not that we see God in some distorted manner. No, no, no. His point is that we see him indirectly, which is the nature of looking into a mirror. For now we only see a reflection as in a mirror. We should be compared to the day, one day, of beholding him face to face. Though we know the Lord in a beautiful way right now, in this already moment, we don't know him like we will one day. C.S. Lewis, I love what he says. This quote is totally worth looking at. Until you have given up yourself to him, you will not have a real self. Sameness is to be found among the most natural men, not among those who surrender to Christ. And he goes on and he says, your real new self, which is Christ's, and also yours, and yours, just because it is his, will not come as long as you are looking for it. It will come when you are looking for him. So as we live in an age that says over and over again, find your true self, you need to find true self, he's saying, no, 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 no. As long as you're looking for your true self, you'll never find it. It will only come as we're looking at Christ. So since we live still under sin's corruption of both our world and our hearts, we wait for the full expression of our adoption of the family of God. And this is a marvelous reality, and we live in it right now. But there's something greater going on here. And, and John's really unpacking it for us, and he's saying, there's this dynamic at play of the already, and this next section is the not yet, the future glory. I want you to do a thought experiment with me for a second. Close your eyes, because I think that's helpful sometimes to do. Close your eyes and imagine a world without sin's corruption. What would it be like? I'll just give you a couple as you've got your eyes closed. There would be no more poverty and hunger. There would be no more violence and hatred. All of the systems and injustices which pervade our world would be removed. And that's kind of more outside of us, but how about inside of us? Our hearts, the general discontented feeling of our work, the conflict in our, in our families and in our marriages. Sin's corruption touches... Okay, you can open your eyes now. Sin's corruption touches everything. And he's saying that one day, get this, one day, it will no longer. This gives me chills, isn't it, isn't it what I talk about? It's like, we're, it's like we're looking into a fairy tale that's true, that one day we will experience the not yet, the future glory that is yet to be revealed. In verse 2 of 1 John, Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Which brings us to the second point that I want you to see, is until this adoption is fully revealed, we must purify ourselves by focusing our hope on Him. So how are we to think through this future glory? We're actually going to answer, look at this by, by three questions. So here's the first one. How are we to think about this future glory? What does John mean by, we shall be like Him? 
And then thirdly, what does this not yet experience mean for us? And as we think about this, I just want to remind us that the angels in heaven, Peter says later, they long to look into what we will one day inherit. So we, we should, at some level like Moses, take off our shoes because we're standing on holy ground. What no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no man has even imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So how are we to think about this future glory? Let me give you three. The first is the beautiful inheritance. First Peter, back to First Peter, three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So Peter's saying, this hope, here it is, it's a living hope because Jesus has been resurrected. But then he goes on and he says, to an inheritance incorruptible. See, here's the problem. Everything we've ever experienced or known decays and rusts and is lost. Everything will be rusted and destroyed. And one day, think about this, your great-great-grandchildren probably won't know your name. I barely know my great-great-grandparents. I I couldn't even tell you the name of my great-great-great-grandparents. And what Peter's saying is, it's not going to be like that. It's an inheritance incorruptible, verse 4 says, and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. It's an inheritance which is untouchable to the destruction of this world. It will not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for God's children. One commentator, I love what he said. He said, the blessings that the triune God communicates to us now by grace, through faith, by means of the ministry of the word and sacrament or the the communion, he will one day communicate to us in glory through sight apart from creaturely instruments, by the glory of his own manifest presence. What will be promised, what has been promised, will be fulfilled. It will happen, and what yet is not yet revealed shall be. What about that second question? What what does John mean when he says, we shall be like him? And this one, this one, folks, I think I could stand and marvel at for a long time. It's conformed to the image of Christ. Conformed to the image of Christ. In Romans 8, 28 and 29, he says, And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So that means as we're standing around the graveside of friends and family, that means as we lose our job and as things in our life fall apart, we can know this truth, that all things work together for our ultimate good and God's ultimate glory. And this is what he says in verse 29, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that, we might, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God has saved us for more than a get-out-of-hell-free card. 
God has saved us to be conformed to the image of Christ. And we have been redesigned, recast to be the spitting image of Jesus Christ in terms of righteousness. Here's the thing. This conformity does not fully happen here. It does not fully happen in the already. But one day we shall see him as he is. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The Beauty and the Beast. But there's a moment in this movie where the beast, it's like at the end of the movie, this whole movie is building up to this climax. The beast just needs a, a beautiful woman to kiss him. And if he does, he will be changed. I know it's like Daniel sitting up here talking about beauty and the beast. It is kind of funny. At the end of the movie, the beast dies, and, but beauty kisses him. I forget, Bella. I think it, Bella is her name. And there's a moment where the beast is dead, but, the, but beauty goes over, she kisses him, and in that moment, He's transformed. And it's that kind of transformation that is the transformation that we, we look at that, that picture of the beast being transformed and we're like, wow, that's amazing. But that's so unrealistic. Friends, that is realistic. Because the transformation that will happen when we're conformed to the image of Christ is we who are beasts will one day become beauties. This is not something for a fairy tale. Friends, this is something for us now. This is something for us one day that we can hope for. Beloved, we are now God's children, but what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he, he is. And when the beauty, the ultimate beauty, shows up, we will be moved from beast to beauty like him. Let me give you the third aspect. It's free from suffering. So what does this not yet experience mean for us? It means this in Revelation 21, 3 through 5, like Jeremiah read this morning. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And here it is. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. He will wipe away every tear. Death will be no more. No more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. I heard an illustration of this one time. and it, I can't shake the illustration because it's too good. I don't know if you've ever had a bad dream before, but every couple of years I have a nightmare, which really bothers me. About six or eight months ago, I had a nightmare. I kept having this recurring nightmare that uh, my, my house was being broken into. And in it, I could never, they would break into the house, and I could never get to the house. And then they would take my children or my, my wife, and I, would, I could never get to them in time. And I remember always waking up from the dream and thinking, it was only a dream. And on the authority of Scripture, I can tell you that every suffering you've ever experienced, Jesus is saying that one day it's going to be like a bad dream. He's going to make everything that has been touched by sin a bad dream, and he's going to incorporate even the worst things that have ever happened to you. They will be taken up into glory. That is, 
that is to come in such a way that they truly make glory better and greater. He's not going to give us a substitute. He's going to say, everything that's ever happened, done. He's going to wipe away every tear. He's going to wipe away every pain. And this will happen. This is our glorious destiny in Christ Jesus. So we have a great tension. We live in this already present reality, and yet there's this not yet expectation of from becoming beauties to beasts, or beasts to beauties, and all suffering being removed. And here's what sometimes happens, though. What sometimes happens is people try to elevate one over the other. They try to say, okay, well, well let's, let's live in the already. Let's, let's elevate the already right now. And what they do is they treat Christ like an escape valve. Sometimes people have, have treated this doctrine or this already not yet like they say, no matter what ungodliness is everywhere present, no matter that men and women are suffering from persecution and hunger, no matter that the church is unfaithful to God's written revelation in his will and ways, soon Jesus will return. And it's okay about the already. It doesn't really matter that much. And friends, this is not right. We ought not to do this. We ought not to elevate the already in such a way that we say, it doesn't really matter what happens here. Because it does. Because God has given us a status as his children, and that should affect us in the here and now. But there's another tension, too. And I see this one happen, I think, far more often. Is they elevate the not yet. And they say, look at the glory of the kingdom. The kingdom has been inaugurated, and it's right now. Then they will demand things of God now, which he never promised. Things like healing, things like wealth, things like prosperity. They say, they're yours now, because the kingdom's come. And friends, we have to be very careful about this. We have to, there's, a, there's a distinction, and there's always a weighing, the holding, the not yet, and the already right now. So what do we do in the meantime? Okay, you've talked about the already, what we already are experiencing. You've talked about the not yet. What, about, what do we do in the meantime? John gives it to us here in verse 3. He says, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Notice that word in verse 3, hope in him, hopes in him. That, that little in word is so important. This term is not re- expressing the relation of hope to the subject, which would be us. He's not saying, oh, this hope in us. He's not saying that. Rather, that in word is expressing the relation of faith and trust and hope to an object. Hopes in him which is Christ. So while we wait, the gradual unfolding, while we wait. So we've looked at the already, we've looked at the not yet, so what about the while we wait? I don't know if you've ever been up super early in the morning just to watch the sunrise, maybe you have. One of my favorite parts of hunting every year uh, is, is waking up early enough to see the sunrise but, I mean, it's enough to be up in the morning and see the sunrise. It's not enough to just stare at the sunrise and have nothing else better to do than just look at the sunrise. But I'm always taken back by it because it's an amazing way to see the creation around you. You, you get to your tree stand in the morning and everything is completely pitch dark. 
And as you get there, you see you can't see anything. But slowly and surely, even before you can see the sun, creation starts to kind of come alive around you. And brothers and sisters, this is what the Christian life is kind of like. As we see that, even before we see the sun, we, those who are being sanctified, those who are being progressively sanctified, are slowly being enlightened. Slowly but surely, things become more and more clear. And this is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means. There's a gradual unfolding until one day we see the ultimate unfolding. Until this adoption is fully revealed, we must purify ourselves by focusing our hope on Him. 1 John 3, 3, in another translation says this, and everyone who has this hope focused on Him purifies himself just as Jesus is pure. Those who have their hope focused on Christ will purify themselves just as Christ is pure. And I love, I was going to do another passage, but I'm running out of time. So you can look it up on your own. Purifying oneself, Titus 2, 11 through 14. But I have a quote I want to read for us. It says this. It says, they, referring to the bride of Christ, they purify themselves like a bride who longs for the day when the bridegroom will appear to receive them into the, his father's house where they will drink in his spirit and rejoice in his eternal love. And brothers and sisters, that's our story. As we wait, as we know our status in the present as the children of God, God's love for us will not change. You know what this thing that will be the same? In in Paul, in 1 Corinthians, he says that faith, hope, and love are these. And he says the greatest of them is love. You want to know why? Because all the others will pass away. One day faith will pass away. One day hope will pass away. But love, God's love for us as his children is the same right now as it will be in eternity. And that's an amazing reality. So since we still live under sin's corruption of both our world and our hearts, we wait with expectancy, I should add that, for the full expression of our adoption into God's family. And until this adoption is fully revealed, We must purify ourselves by focusing our hope on Him. So as you consider, as you think about, as we take time to respond now, as you consider maybe ways that you've elevated one of these, the not yet over the already, or the already over the not yet. Again, I'll just encourage us to respond in faith. To, to trust, to do what, what John is urging us to do, to purify ourselves and to put our hope upon him and wait for him at his coming. So just take a minute and respond to the Lord and however he's prompting you.
God, I know that there is much pain and suffering, not just in this room, but in our families, in our friends, all around us. And Lord, as we consider what we will be when you come, what we will be like, that we'll be free from suffering, that we'll be conformed to the image of Christ, that we'll be blameless like you are blameless. Not because of anything done in the flesh, not because of anything we've done, but because of everything of who you are. Father, would you spur our hearts on by your Holy Spirit to purify ourselves just as Jesus is pure. To set our hope, set our affections upon Him in the meantime, as we wait. And as we are gradually unfolding the sons of God, would you do that in us, we pray. Conform us more and more to the image of Christ, like metal over a hot plate, would we be changed and shaped and formed by the image of Christ, we pray. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So we will, uh, this concludes the service. Uh, we will now transition into Sunday school.